Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's so good to see everyone. Um, this has been this has been a wonderful study, I think. Um, very beneficial. It's gone even better than I anticipated at first. It hasn't felt like a pure review for us, has it? Uh, no, I mean, it's been so long since we've considered these topics in a really focused way. Uh, and in fact, even when we first considered them all those years ago, it wasn't by going through this book. It was just delivered in three sermons, brief sermons, uh, three points at a time going through these nine marks of a, of a healthy church. And uh, a lot of folks who are now at Emmaus weren't even here for those first three. So this has been a very um, great study, I think. I really appreciate this book, uh, even more so now as we've gone through it with care. Uh, this last uh, chapter, this last lesson and chapter here is on the topic of missions, a biblical understanding and practice of missions. And I think this is a very good chapter. And if you were to ask me, uh, where do you think we need to grow the most? I would say in this regard, I think we have room for growth in the future uh, to be more faithful in evangelism locally and our participation in world missions. Um, I'll probably say more about that later. Uh, we, we have supported missions in the past. We have supported church planting efforts. Our resolve is to continue to do so. Uh, but I would love uh, to see us uh, be even more intentional and deliberate about uh, spreading the gospel here in our place. Uh, would anyone disagree with me that, uh, of course, we cannot lose sight of uh, the ends of the earth? Um, but we live in a pretty dark place ourselves now, do we not? Uh, where the gospel is um, really lacking and so we need to be faithful where the Lord has planted us, while at the same time remembering that Christ came to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Uh, it's not one or the other, um, but we must maintain this focus on both and be faithful uh, both locally and abroad. Let's, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will progress through this chapter. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day and the blessing it is to gather together as your people. I thank you for this Sunday school hour as it gives us an opportunity uh, most Lord's Days to um, focus in on a particular topic such as this one that is before us. I thank you for um, this book, uh, for the ministry of Mark Dever and Nine Marks. I pray that you would use it to strengthen our church and many other congregations as well as they come into contact with this teaching. Uh, do help us, O oh God, to be faithful and healthy uh, so that we might grow in Christ and bring glory to your name. It's in the name of Christ that we say these things, and all, all of God's people say, Amen. Uh, page 253 of this edition of the book, um, this is the fourth edition that I'm working out of. Uh, I want to jump right to uh, the question, what should churches believe about missions? You would think that this would be a pretty uh, agreed upon uh, subject, wouldn't you? Uh, in fact, the question, what is missions, is a bit controversial, believe it or not. Um, I think a lot of people want to call lots of things missions. They want to make lots of things the mission of the church. And if I were to address the, the problem in a very generic way, I would say that there are a lot of traditions, a lot of church traditions that have confused gospel proclamation and church planting with um, the desire to transform society and to engage in the betterment of society. I'm not saying that the two things need to be strictly divorced from one another. I'm not saying that we cannot 
um, do good for, for man in a common way while also proclaiming the gospel, don't get me wrong. But I'm afraid that uh, there has been this trend throughout um, church history maybe, but especially in our more modern era, to confuse um, mercy-type ministries with missions. Uh, so that if schools are being established and if hospitals are being built and if orphanages are being uh, you know, established and sustained, all of that is called missions. And I think that's a problem. Uh, it is not that we are not to engage in these things. There is a place for it. We are called to do good works. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So no doubt the church should be engaged in these kinds of activities as the Lord gives opportunity uh, but if this is all we do, then we are really not doing missions, strictly speaking, because missions, evangelism, locally and abroad, has to do with the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the establishment of His eternal kingdom, uh, the advancement of His eternal kingdom. And so, though Dever does not engage in the, the debate, if, if you will, he doesn't get into the polemics of the issue, he just states his view on what missions is. If you've read broadly on this subject, you'll know that he's taking a, a pretty firm stance on uh, identifying the proclamation of the gospel and the planting of churches locally and abroad with the term missions. And I appreciate that very much. So what should churches believe about missions? Uh, he says that missions is evangelism in a place and among a whole people where it's largely unknown. Uh, missions, by the way, is not a biblical term, is it? Can anyone think of a passage of Scripture that uses the term missions? Uh, but rather, it's a theological term that has been used uh, for a long, long time. I don't know when exactly it came into popular usage to describe exactly what Devers, Mark Devers says here. Um, when we speak of missions, we are speaking of the proclamation of the gospel uh, in a land where the gospel is largely absent and where there is not an established church. Um, I think that's a, a very fine use of, of the term. We are called to do evangelism, which means the proclamation of the good news. We are called to do that locally, uh, where we are planted uh, where there might be other congregations that are planted all around us, we are called to do that. But Jesus has given us this great commission, as it has been called, to do this to the farthest reaches of the earth. Uh, and Devers is right to uh, Dever, rather is right uh, to demonstrate that this is a part of the basic storyline of the Bible, uh, that it has as its view the um, the salvation of all peoples. Uh, God created the world; it was. Adam, who as the representative of mankind fell into sin, it was to Adam that God promised to provide a redeemer. Uh, it was to Abraham that God said through him, through a particular people, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As you're hearing me say this, you're saying this sounds familiar because I preach in this way often. And so we should not be surprised that God has as his, uh, his aim the salvation of peoples from every tongue tribe. And nation, and indeed that becomes very clear uh, with the inbreaking of the new covenant and with the giving of this great commission, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty. It's a familiar text, but it's important that I read it here as a part of this lesson. Uh, Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, said to his disciples, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." By the way, don't forget that little introductory statement. It's very, very important. 
he defeated Satan in the whole of his life, and particularly at the cross. Uh, he went into the grave. I would also add that in the soul he descended to Hades. And he conquered death by raising from the dead on the third day. And we know that after he gave this commission to his disciples, he would ascend to his heavenly throne. So, the victory that Christ won on earth was not just about um, our forgiveness, the, the, the forgiveness of our individual sins. There's a lot more going on in the life of Christ and in his mission. He came to defeat the evil one, to overthrow his kingdom of darkness, and to earn for himself a kingdom uh, that is an everlasting kingdom. So this little phrase at the very beginning of the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, is very, very important. It helps us to understand what Christ has accomplished. And now the mission that he gives to the church flows out of what he has accomplished, you see. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me is a very important statement. And then he says, go therefore. So the word therefore shows us that this mission or this great commission that was given to the church is the consequence of what Jesus accomplished at his first coming, the victory that he has won. Go therefore, and then what is the mission? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So, Dever is wanting us to understand that missions is rooted in this great commission. He doesn't, if I remember right, elaborate too much on this. So, maybe I'll take just a little bit of time to draw your attention to, to, to a few things. Missions is gospel proclamation. How are disciples made? I might ask you. Go and make disciples of all nations. How are disciples of Jesus made? Through the preaching of the Word of God, as the Spirit works. People come to follow Jesus, to be disciples or learners of Jesus, through the preaching of the Gospel, as the Spirit works. So this is about Gospel proclamation. Uh, this is also about the planting of churches. This is also about the planting of churches. And you say, well, where do you see church planting mentioned in the Great Commission? Well, it is really strongly alluded to here when Jesus says that these disciples are to be made, but then what are we to do with these disciples? They are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And not only are they to be baptized upon profession of faith, but they are to be taught to observe all that Christ has commanded. And if we interpret that command in light of the whole of the New Testament, you can see the church here, can you not? Uh, you can see the, the need to establish local churches. People are baptized into Christ and then they walk with Christ in the church. And where are disciples taught to observe all that Christ has commanded except in the church? The Great Commission is not about creating individual followers of Jesus. It's about establishing a kingdom, building a kingdom, advancing a kingdom. It, it's about building and advancing the church of Christ to, to the furthest reaches of the earth. Are you following along with me here? Okay. Um, it might be good at this point to ask the question, to whom was this great commission given? The church. The church. I, think, I think that's the right answer. The church was given the great commission. Originally it was given to whom? The apostles. 
It was given to the apostles of Christ, those original disciples that walked with Him on earth. But we see, again, we're not biblicists, right? We need to interpret the Great Commission in light of the totality of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. We need to especially interpret the Great Commission in, in the light of the whole New Testament. We see that this Great Commission is a, is, is a command that is given to the entire church, originally to the apostles, but passed on to elders and deacons and members of congregations, so that it is the church that collectively um, goes about this work of gospel proclamation and of bringing new disciples into the congregation through the waters of baptism, and there they are to be taught all that Christ has commanded us. Right? Uh, Is it your job as an individual Christian to fulfill the Great Commission? Careful, this is a trick question, kind of. Is it your job as an individual Christian to fulfill the Great Commission alone? (laughs) I might add, no. No. You are a member of the body of Christ. You must do what God has called you to do with the particular gifts that God has given to you. But the weight of the Great Commission does not rest on any individual believer. Do you understand what I'm saying here? But it rests on the church collectively. Um, the church universal, we might say, but I think in particular, this, this burden of the Great Commission, and it is a blessed bur- burden, it rests on the, the shoulders of local congregations. The church is to be concerned with accomplishing this mission that Christ has given to us. And the last line of the Great Commission is as important in some respects as the first. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore do this. And then there is this reminder, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us because He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is with us according to His divine nature. He is with us through the sending of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So, we should have great confidence uh, that this work that has been given to us will be, will be completed, not by our strength, but by the strength that He um, supplies. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Um, That's a pretty awesome promise to hold on to. You look at the world around you and you say, there's no way that this gospel is going to succeed. Well, it succeeded in your own mind and heart, did it not? Did not not God conquer you? Did He not turn your mind from darkness to light and renew your heart of stone and, and to make it tender to Him? He did it in you, so why should we not think that He will not also do it uh, with those around us in the culture in which we live and even to the ends of the earth? Okay, so the basic story of the Bible was never merely ethnic and local or national and parochial. It was always as wide as the creation and the Creator's claims. That is Dever on page 254. That's a great quote, I think. Um, And you do hear me preach this way, uh, and this is a very important truth to keep in mind always. We should not only be concerned with our people, but with all the peoples of the earth and sending the gospel to them. Missions begins with our understanding of the gospel and conversion. So if we wish to do missions well, we must understand what the gospel is, of course. If this is going to involve proclaiming the gospel, we must understand what it is. And we also need to understand how conversion happens, uh, lest we make errors in our evangelism and missions. Uh, I'll pause here for just a moment and ask you a question. 
how might errors in our understanding of how conversion works lead to bad approaches in evangelism and missions? Does anyone have some thoughts about that? Chuck? Uh, the fact that uh, faith precedes regeneration. The fact that regeneration precedes faith? I would say it's the other way around. I have a feeling we're just miscommunicating here. So, thank you. Okay. So the error in believing that faith precedes regeneration. Um, I knew you and I were just having a bit of a miscommunication right there on the spot, Chuck. So, um, <laughs> the word "fact" threw me off. Uh, yes, that is exactly what I'm thinking of. If it is your belief that Faith comes before regeneration. You're going to do evangelism and missions in a bad way, in my opinion. And I think it could be demonstrated, especially in our modern age. And here is where, here is where the two things are connected. If, if it is your belief that man is totally free and not in bondage, and that they must in an unaided way, come to faith in Christ. And then when they come to faith in Christ, they are regenerated, born again, made new. Then I think your tactics in uh, evangelism and missions is going to be, end up being rather manipulative. That's the succinct way of saying it. I, I, I think there's going to be too much of a burden, or maybe I should say an inappropriate kind of burden, placed upon the evangelist and missionary, uh, where... The human being thinks that with their own human effort, they need to compel sinners to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ so that they might be born again. But when you understand the truth that, in fact, regeneration, that is the working of Holy Spirit upon the heart and the mind, uh, comes before faith, uh, then you begin to see that it is our job to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to leave conversion to the Lord. The Lord has to convert sinners ultimately. This does not mean that we do not preach. Of course we must preach. It is the means that God has used to bring sinners to repentance. This does not mean that we should this does not mean that we do not preach in a compelling way. We should preach in a compelling way. But we should not be manipulative. We should not arm twist. We should not distort the truth of the gospel, thinking that, well, if we would only soften this message a bit and take away some of the difficult parts, then we can get people to come to Jesus, you know, and then God can do His work. You know what I'm talking about here, how oftentimes preachers will claim to preach the gospel, but they preach a soft gospel. In fact, they preach a Christless gospel, one that does not involve repentance, perhaps, in order to try to woo, by their own strength and wisdom, many to Christ, and they end up proclaiming no gospel at all. And it is all rooted in... um, a misunderstanding of how conversion works. By the way, we are um, preaching through our catechism on the Lord's Day afternoon regularly, as you know. And I do one of the things that I do appreciate about our catechism is the way that it presents the gospel two times in two different ways, a redemptive historical way, a law gospel way. You've heard me say this before. But also it, it, it teaches quite clearly how conversion works in two, in two different ways. 
I believe it broaches the subject twice. And we're coming to this section of our catechism even now. Uh, This afternoon, we're going to ask the question, what is faith? And, And faith is referred to as a saving grace. And the word grace is very important here. Uh, you, you might even use the word gift. Faith is a saving gift. It is a gift from God. So the ability to believe does not come from within us, for we are dead in our sins. But the ability to believe, though it is we who believe, the ability to believe comes from above. It comes from God. It, it, it is brought about through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. So what Ch- touched upon just right now is exactly right. What's the order? What's the order? It is not faith and then regeneration. How in the world can a dead man believe? That's the question we must ask. How can a dead man believe? He cannot. If he is to believe, he must first be made alive. So regeneration precedes faith. That was a bit of a tangent, wasn't it? Um, but I think it is an important one, and it's, uh, it was building upon this little statement from Dever. Um, that missions begins with our understanding of the gospel and conversion. Uh, missions will not be done well if we have errors in our soteriology and in, in our doctrine of salvation. Okay, we must um, begin at home, Dever says, and I wholeheartedly agree with this. Uh, it doesn't do us any good, I don't think, to be concerned about world missions, to, but to be failing at home. And so we must begin in the home with concern for the conversion of our family, with our own children, perhaps a spouse. Uh, We must begin there. And then we must begin with those around us, friends, co-workers, neighbors, etc. Um, And then we must also keep in mind the ends of the earth. So let's go through the the main body of this uh, chapter here now where Dever asks, what should churches do in missions? And I think... The points that he makes are very, uh, are very helpful. There are seven of them. I like the number seven as well, so that's nice. Uh, what should churches do in missions? First, learn about God's Word and God's world. Both of these things uh, need to be done. We need to learn or fill our minds with the truth of God's Word and of God's world. Um, you, you know, uh, brothers and sisters, that there is a tendency to, to, to pit doctrine or the, or the study of doctrine against practical things in the Christian life, you know that this is true as if they're opposed to one another. But what, we, what have we found to be true uh, here at Emmaus in our years together? Uh, it is that when we come to understand doctrine, when we come to, come to understand the truth of God's Word, when we grow in our understanding of theology, it warms the heart, it changes our lives, does it not? So we are renewed through the transformation of our minds. You know that to be true. And I would say the same thing is true about missions. How will we flourish in this area? Well, we need to learn God's Word. We need to know the storyline of Scripture. We need to see God's aim from the beginning. We need to really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's going to propel us to proclaim it with the kind of boldness and confidence that is required. But here Dever is also saying that we need to learn about God's world And I think this is something that we can grow in, that we can be more outward focused, we can be more aware of the world around us. And I am not talking about the political things that are going on in the world. I'm talking about more awareness of um, the the, the progress of the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth and and the nations that do exist even now with very little um, 
gospel witness. So I think this is a wonderful place to begin. Two, pray for the spread of the gospel in other places. We need to pray for this. It should be a regular part of our prayer time as a congregation on Sunday evenings. It should be a regular part of our private prayer. And we do pray in this regard. Don't get me wrong. I do not think at all that we have lost sight of this. We pray for churches outside of this one. Uh, Here in California, and as I say, uh, we do live in a a very dark place. We pray for other churches uh, across this country. I think we can be more faithful to pray for uh, missionaries and works that are taking place um, to the ends of the earth. Do you you remember when we first began at Emmaus, um, we began from the start to support an organization called Heart Cry Missionary Society. Do you remember this? Uh, You may know the name Paul Washer. I think he's the founder of that organization. And um, I think he's the founder. I I know he was the head of it and still is as far as I know. And so because we were not connected with any other entity outside of ourselves from the beginning, we thought, let's support this this missionary organization. I think it was a very good thing that we did so for a time. We would send money and we'd be aware of uh, what this organization was doing to the ends of the earth. And then having joined ourselves to an association, first a local and then a national, we began to focus our efforts there on the church planting efforts of the association, and that was a great blessing. But then we withdrew from the National Association, and I would say since then we've been lacking a bit in this regard in terms of cooperative efforts. I want you to know that it is on my mind to find a way to re-engage here, uh, either by... uh, encouraging our local association to engage in church planting efforts locally and and even to the ends of the earth. But I think also there will be opportunities in in the future to partner with other regional associations across this country to be aware of what is going on in the the realm of world missions uh, together. So my assessment of where we're at currently on this issue of being mindful of the world is that we need to regain something we've lost a bit Uh, But I don't think it's going to be difficult for us to do so. We need to learn about God's Word and world. We do need to be faithful to pray for the spread of the gospel in other places. We can do this even this afternoon, can't we, in a very generic sense. But here I am saying it would be really wonderful to have particular missionaries to pray for who are laboring in particular places across the globe. And so I think we need to work towards um, recovering this. Three, plan to make your church increasingly useful to the spread of the gospel. Um, I like the word plan here. Uh, You are exhorted as a member of this congregation to share Christ with people in a very natural way. Just do it. Uh, We don't need a a particular plan to accomplish that. You ought to be looking for opportunities to speak of Christ with others. But I think there is also a benefit to having a particular plan, a particular way of going about spreading the gospel in this location and even to the ends of the earth. And so I think we can grow in this regard as well, to plan to make our church increasingly useful in the spread of the gospel. You know, uh, it it is on my mind and and heart to do this as well. Uh, That introduction to the Christian faith class that I'm currently teaching through is a part of this plan in my mind. How so? Can anybody answer for me how having an introductory course, an introduction to the Christian faith course, would be a part of the plan of spreading the gospel uh, in this in this region? Can anyone answer? You say it doesn't sound like evangelism; it sounds like discipleship. So, so what does it have to do with it? 
Mom. That introduction to the Christian faith class could be useful for Christians who maybe have been Christians for some time to be reminded of the foundational truths of the gospel in order to share it. How else? There's many answers actually to this. Yeah. Tom, did you have something? Okay. I, th- there may also be people around us who are willing to sit through a class like that who have not yet made a profession of faith. Perhaps they would come and endure 14 or 15 weeks and, and just hear uh, the, the, the faith articulated. Uh, but in my mind, this is the main reason to have it. What about those who do make a profession of faith? How, how are we going to be faithful to... Uh, did you want to interject, Barb? Okay, it, it, yes, it could be used in that way as well. Thus, being able to plant a church, uh-huh. someone who was God touched their lives or called their lives to do so. It's a beginning course. Yes. Study, yes, it is a beginning course. So there's a sense in which everything we do here, I mean, we, we do also pray that the Lord would raise up ministers of the gospel from us that could then be sent out to plant churches or to shepherd other congregations that are lacking a shepherd, yes. Where my mind was going, though, is this. Uh, What about those who do make a profession of faith through the preaching of the gospel, through the proclamation of the gospel? Uh, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What's the next thing that the Great Commission tells us to do? uh, Baptizing them, and then what's the third thing? Teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. So if we're going to be proclaiming the gospel, we also need to be prepared to take those in who have made a profession of faith to instruct them in the basics of the Christian faith. I think it is a very important part of evangelism. You see what I just did there? Um, Evangelism and missions is not just about gospel proclamation, but it's also about being prepared to baptize and to teach. Um, That's what the accomplishment of the Great Commission looks like uh, in a well-rounded sense. Uh, Four, pay to support those who go out for the sake of the name who can't or shouldn't support themselves. Uh, Here, Dever says that the phrase, for the sake of the name, comes from one of John's epistles. And here he quotes 3 John 5-8. through Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. What a beautiful passage. Uh, Who is John talking about here? He's talking about what we might call missionaries. Um, These are people who who are going out like Paul did to preach the gospel. And here John is writing to Christians, to the church, saying we ought to support people like these. And they have gone out for the sake of the name. Whose name do you think? We might say the name of Jesus. My mind goes to the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit also. I love the fact that name there in the Great Commission is singular, but yet three are mentioned, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, This is the name that is placed upon 
disciples of Jesus at baptism. We are not baptized in the name of Jesus. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's significant because Jesus has come not to reconcile sinners to Himself. Think about that for a moment. Jesus did not come to reconcile sinners to Himself or to bring sinners to Himself. He came to function as a mediator between two parties. He came to reconcile sinners to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it is the name of God that is placed upon His people at baptism, the name of the triune God. That's marvelous, right? And so these went out for the sake of the name, and and John is saying they ought to be supported. They ought to be supported by the church. And so Deborah is saying we are to pay to support those who go out for the sake of the name who can't or shouldn't support themselves. Um, Missionaries need to be supported. He mentions here the 1040 window. That is a section of the globe uh, that is particularly devoid of, of gospel witness. And he suggests here that we should perhaps focus on that region and support missionaries who are willing to go. Five, send pastors and others to help establish churches in gospel-needy places far away. Um, again, Dever does not engage in the debate or the polemics of it. He just states his opinion. And I think it's a good approach. But here's a question I'll ask you to engage in a little bit of polemics, I guess. Is there a place for short-term missions? Short-term missions trips. Is there a place for it? Don't answer out loud because we might disagree. You know, um, Is there a place for short-term missions trips? I, I would say yes, there is. But we have to be careful here. We have to be very careful here. What is missions? I would want to link it very tightly with church planting. Do you understand? So it is gospel proclamation with the aim with our aim being the establishment of local churches in a particular place. Missions is if we were to define it very strictly, it is church planting. Now missionaries may do other things. They might establish schools, they might meet needs in, in a community that are obvious for the sake of adorning the gospel. That's language from our confession in the chapter on good works. I'm not opposed to that. But I think we need to have a laser-like focus on church planting. We are going not to build hospitals, but to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a region, to see the conversion of sinners, to expand the kingdom of God in that place, and to establish churches that are going to baptize and teach followers of Jesus to observe all that He has commanded. You understand what I'm saying here? So, that's the mission. Now, is there a place for short-term missions? That, that's the question I've just asked. And I would say, yes, there, there, is, there is a place for it. There is some benefit to exposing people to other cultures so that maybe the Lord would call them to full-time missions. I get that. But I think, to say it very bluntly, I think a lot of money is wasted on cross-cultural trips that are ultimately fruitless. They're fruitless. They're, they're caught, what they are is not missions, but cross-cultural experiences for people. Let's just call them what they are. That's what I'm saying. So if we're going to send people from our local churches, 
out on short-term trips, I think my desire would be that those people go out to support missionaries who have it as their aim to plant churches in a region, to help them in their work, to support them, to encourage them, to further that, that particular work that is being done. Are you following with me here? So I just want you to know where I'm coming from here. I'm, I'm not opposed to short-term trips. I just think we need to be wise about them. We need to be wise about them. We need to ask the question, are these trips and are these monies that are being spent to send folks on these trips really furthering the cause of Christ? And, and they may be. And they may be in different ways than what I have just mentioned here. But I think we need to ask that hard question before just jumping in on stuff like this. Because maybe one more comment on this. I mean, it looks good, doesn't it? On a, on a church's resume. You know, <laughs> on a church's website to say, we believe in missions and we send teams of people to this region and to that region. And wow, that looks impressive. What are you doing when you're there, may I ask? What are you doing when you're there? And I just wonder if sometimes, if you don't mind me being a little snarky about it, I do wonder if sometimes if you really were to press in upon the question, what are you doing while you're there, if the thing wouldn't start to look more like a vacation than missions work. Do you understand? A cross-cultural experience. And does the Lord use these things? Maybe He does in some ways. But I think we need to be willing to ask these hard hard questions. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I'm getting fired up right now. Did you have a comment, Jeff? I mean, probably the largest group or church with a type of vicious is like Mormons. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I'm just drawing a connection as far as you mission wrong by the mere fact that what are you presenting or what are you teaching? I must be your son because I was thinking of the exact same thing this morning as I was kind of reviewing this in my mind. You know, the Mormons do, and these are real heavy, um, what what are these called? Scare quotes? Um, Air quotes, whatever. (laughs) What did I just say? Mike scrubbed that from the recording. Um, Air quotes. These are heavy, right? The Mormons are really good at missions. Do they do missions? Not in the slightest bit because they don't have the gospel. Their gospel is so distorted, they're, they're furthering a message of destruction. They're, they're, they're leading people into darkness by what they are doing. So yes, I think it, it, it's kind of an extreme illustration of what we're, what we're talking about here. Just because you go somewhere doesn't mean you've done missions. You might be going with the wrong message. You might be going with the wrong aim. You might just be wasting a lot of time and resources when really we could be supporting those who are doing Real deal missions, church planting work, and by the way, rarely is it, I was going to use the word, I'll refrain from using rarely is it flashy. Rarely is real deal missions work flashy. Like the missionaries don't wear t-shirts that were created for the team to go on this trip. They're, they're They're just struggling in a foreign land and sometimes go years and years without seeing converts. You understand? So, we have to be careful here. Uh, can we send people on short-term trips? Sure. But let's ask the hard questions before we send them. Um, Scott, oh, you, you were, I think your hand was up first, Danny. Go ahead. Well, I would say the Apostle Paul went on short-term missions because after he established churches, he always wanted to go back and, and help them out. So, I would say short-term missions are to visit newly planted churches to help them establish churches. Yeah, that's a very good point. 
Short-term trip. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, it was a year or two. But, but you, I mean, you look at Paul's work, and it's all about, in a sense, the church. It's, it's all about the bride of Christ, whom, whom, he, whom he has obtained with his shed blood. Is it about individuals coming to salvation? Yes, but bigger. It's about the church, the establishment of churches, the building up of churches, the encouragement of churches. You look at his letters. They're all written, written to individual churches or to churches in regions. The New Testament is a church book, as it's been said. Yeah, Scott, did you have something? Yeah. Um, so I, I I agree with you that, that uh, there should be maybe a demarcation between terminology, like don't call it a mission. I, I think that's appropriate. But I also think that there's short-term things that are are mission, but are not church planning. So, for instance, um, my son went to Haiti. But there was a church there that um, we had regular need for volunteers. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and to work on, you know, doing everything from the hardwood property and stuff like that to serving people that were there. Um, so there's an established church there. It's already been planted. This was through the OPC, you know, it's a solid church. Um, but every year they had people coming because they needed the help. Yes. In Haiti, you don't have so I, and I, I have no qualms with that. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, though. I mean, he was going on short-term trips to, to, to meet needs, maybe physical needs, within a, a region that was very impoverished. But it, it did have it as its aim, the local church. It was already planted, but it needed help. I'm all for that. I, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I, I'm, I'm talking about these short-term trips that cost an awful lot of money that really don't, don't help build up a, a church that is founded on gospel truth you know it's just people going and moving and and it's called missions and i and i, I have a real problem with that um brian yes do you have any examples of mission trips done well that you're familiar with mission trips done well that i'm familiar with you've put me on the spot Yeah. I have an associate that actually went to this church or cornerstone while he was here. And they planted uh, several churches in Uganda. And he's actually over there right now with the team to support the churches that have already been planted, helping train leaders, and continue to further themselves the gospel that way. Yeah. Another thought did come to mind as, as you were sharing that example, Danny. Um, I, I do know of some of our Reformed Baptist brothers who are traveling an awful lot to different parts of the world in order to teach. And, and they're, they're teaching pastors who will come together in an urban area and then go back out to minister to the local congregations. And so they're putting on conferences in South, South America is the, 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 the instance that comes to my mind right now. And so what are they going to do? They are going to go on a short trip, a week, two weeks, maybe three weeks. They're going to return back home but they're going there in order to feed pastors who will stay and minister to their congregations. That would be an example of a, a I think, a very healthy short-term trip. Is that what James is doing down there now? Yeah, I know that James has been down there. Barcelos has been down there. Sam Renahan has been down there. I, I don't know that it's all to the same place, by the way. It might be to different places. But that's what they're doing. They're going for a time to pour into pastors or to others who are being prepared for the ministry and then to return home. So... 
John, yes. I just have a question. I've, all, I've always wondered why when they send missionaries out, it's always to another country and not to this country. Yes, and we've talked about that a bit, just about how dark our land is. We cannot lose sight of the nations. There are places even darker than this that are completely devoid of gospel witness. So we cannot lose sight of that. But we have a real problem in our own land where although there might be a lot of church buildings in most of our communities, these communities might be devoid of gospel witness, believe it or not, because of the, the, um, the degradation of, of, of the church. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, go go to Utah, where it's predominantly Mormon. Uh, I was able to rub shoulders with uh, a, an elder from a church in Utah that is doing that very thing um, in the Provo area uh, not long ago. Um, also, this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I remember having a conversation about the need to do church planting and missions type work with another Reformed Baptist pastor, and, and this pastor reminded me that there are so many congregations, though, whose whose pastors are nearing retirement age uh, and who are going to be in need of a, a pastor. So we can't forget about that either, the, the maintenance of these churches that have been long established, who, who may be in need in the not-too-distant future. I guess this could be used as um, you know, just an illustration of the need for um, the training of ministers to and, and the benefit of churches cooperating together to establish schools like seminaries to do this very thing. Okay, let me go through these last two points in the, in, in the very little time we have remaining. We need to care for those who we send. And I think this is also just a wonderful observation and, and point made by Dever. Missions work is very, very difficult, especially if a missionary is being sent into an unreached uh, people group. We really need to care uh, for those that are sent out um, financially, but also spiritually. Uh, missionaries need to be sent, sent and then cared for. And then we need to wait for a faithful witness to be well established and help those sent out to endure. So this might take a very long time for a church to be well established in a given land. And so sending churches, and I say that in the plural because I think most often churches need to cooperate on the sending out of missionaries. It's, a church would have to be pretty large and pretty wealthy to be able to do it all on their own, right? And even then, I don't think it would be entirely wise. Uh, but sending churches do need to be really patient um, to support those who've been sent out into a difficult Place. Okay. Um, Michael Horton quote Everyone wants to change the world, nobody wants to do the dishes. I highlighted that, and the reason is this I, it, it, it ties into what I said just a moment ago that missions usually isn't glamorous, it, it's often just very hard, grueling, and often discouraging work. Um, and I do thank the Lord for those who have gone to serve in places where there's very little fruit for a very long period of time. Um, I do think, I'm confident of this, Calvinists make the best missionaries, especially in 
uh, regions like this, not only do they have the truth of the gospel to proclaim, but they are also going to have uh, just the, the, the doctrine that they're going to need to, to persevere. You know, if if an Armenian goes and thinks it's up to him to change people's minds, they might grow very quickly discouraged in their work and feel like failures. But I think Calvinists ought to go uh, trusting in the sovereignty of God. They'll go with a mindset of, I must be faithful to do what God has called me to do, and I'll endure. I'll endure even if the fruit takes a long time to develop and to harvest. Let's pray. Father, do help us here at Emmaus to be mindful of the world um, and to be mindful of the fact that you have sent the Christ to redeem sinners from the entire world. For you, O God, have so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. O Lord, help us to ever remember this. I pray that you would make us faithful in our homes, in our community here, uh, but do help us to have the world in mind, to pray. And Lord, we do desire to send, or to at least be a part of the sending of missionaries uh, to plant churches in this nation and to the ends of the earth. And so provide opportunities, O Lord. Give us great wisdom, though, that we would not squander the resources you have entrusted to us. Give us great wisdom, O God. Give us love for you, love for our fellow man. Give us wisdom so that we might be useful in the building up of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray.